Hello and welcome to the Good Podcast with myself, Rob Watson. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Stephen Yip, who is the founder and CEO of Children's Charity Kind in Liverpool, where for the past 43 years, he's dedicated his life to helping tens of thousands of children from underprivileged backgrounds through his amazing educational programs that he runs at the Seed Centre, as well as his yearly Christmas appeal. Stephen's got a wealth of knowledge and experience which he shares in depth in this interview from how how to actually set up a charity and how that all unfolded all them years ago to the journey he's gone on and also some really inspiring stories. We also talk at length about the Christmas Appeal campaign which is now in its 43rd year where they aim to deliver a thousand hampers across the region to disadvantaged children and their families so they can actually you know enjoy this time of year. There's no doubt in my mind that Stephen is an absolute saint for everything he's done and everything he continues to do each day through through his work with this charity. You know, I felt really inspired after doing this interview with him and I was very much thinking about, you know, what more can I do? So if you can, please listen right to the end because I've decided to do my own bit and get involved in Kind's Christmas Appeal and there's ways how you can potentially get involved if you feel the call. So anyway, on to the interview. Thanks, Stephen. Really appreciate you taking part in the yeah. podcast today. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, I first found out about you guys a few years ago, hearing about what you've been doing and stuff, and then I made the decision last Christmas to rather than buy uh, my my family, friends and family sort of expensive gifts that they necessarily don't need, I decided to make a donation here instead, and it sort of goes to your Christmas fund, which was uh, which felt good. Yeah, no, and, and a lot of people do that, which is great, because this, this year, 2018, is our... 43rd Christmas appeal which I can't believe really uh, but you know that's that that's we've been going since 1975 uh, and the, the Christmas appeal is very special to me because it really helps us to make a major difference and it gives the families you know something to remember and, and not to forget because I think we've all had a bad Christmas and it's one of those things you don't want to keep on bringing up. But for a lot of our families, you know, they have constantly bad Christmases. So if we can make, if we can stop it and give them an amazing Christmas and one to remember, that's a bonus. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. It feels really good. And, and seeing everything that you've been doing over the years, is mm. it's really impressive. So I'm sat here doing this with you in Kind Seed Centre. Yeah. And it's a really impressive space. I remember coming around here first time and, and seeing it and the setup. It's Yeah, we've we've been here now since 1997. So this is our 21st birthday, which is ama- amazing again. You know, I can't believe we've been here. I can remember coming in and doing the security checks when the builders were here in 98 but uh, it, it is it's a wonderful venue and it's it's in a back street people people it, it is weird to watch people's reactions because they walk down this cobbled back road and then they suddenly are hit by this purpose-built environmental education center and the reaction is wow what's this doing here and how did it get here because it, it, it is as you say it, it's it's a little hidden gem you know, it's got the solar panels, it's got the wind turbine, the grey water recycle, we have our own bees, we've got a dipping pond, we've got an allotment area, all within a very small inner city space. Yeah, it is. It's truly impressive. And like you say, it is hidden gem, just tucked yeah. away. Um, but yes, yeah, it's a great space. So for people who may not be a little bit aware of Kind, the charity itself, could you just give us a little general overview of what it is that you guys do? Yeah, I mean, we've changed. We, we we began our life as a registered charity 
we were registered Christmas Eve 1975 and we were our main remit then was residential we wanted to give children who were disadvantaged in a variety of ways the opportunity to experience another side of life and that was residential so from 1975 to 2002 the bulk of our work was taking children out of Liverpool and Merseyside up to Scotland and then in 2002 we moved back to Liverpool because we'd already had the seed centre since 97 and we, we, we were open 1998 for our first children and the seed centre is non-residential it's all about environmental and social education with key stage one and two five to eleven five to twelve with eleven weeks of after school program and so we concentrated when we sold the property in Scotland we used all the money to invest in the seed centre so we've now got classrooms here we've got the roof garden we've got the open spaces the allotment and it's all about giving children an opportunity to learn more about their environment and, and how they can help. We've also, uh, over the years, we've also brought in um, a, a number of projects, one of which is called Healthy Futures, which is all about teaching children where food comes from, why food is good for us, what food does for us, and also about exercise, you know, why we need to get our heart rate uh, beat up. But it can be, you know, you can dance, you can run up and downstairs, you don't have to run a marathon or be an amazing footy player. It is about getting your heart beat up and why that's good for us. We also do something called uh, Same But Different, which is also which is about diversity in the broadest sense. And the last 18 months, we've, we've launched a programme about mindfulness. So it's a two-day course aimed at uh, reception up to year six. And it's, it's really, really worked well. Whole schools have come, every class has done the two days. And, and the evaluation and the responses have been wonderful, not only from the children, but also from the staff who, who, who are with them. So kind, you know, we're a small organisation. We have a team of seven, lots of volunteers. Uh, but we, we try and reach out to as many children and as many families as possible. It sounds incredible, some of the things you're doing, and it appears that, particularly saying like the mindfulness side of mm -hmm. things and the healthy futures, teaching people about the environment, is something that tends to be maybe lacking in traditional schools as such. Yeah, we, we're great believers in small class teaching. So we will work with a whole class, and then we will split that class into a number of smaller groups so that every child in that class is getting the attention they need. I mean, to me, this is true education. I really believe in, in first world countries, we should be having class sizes of 12, 16, um, because that way every single child benefits. We can see a difference in a child in five days. You know, when you're sitting, when you have a member of the team sitting on every table, you know, the, the behavior improves dramatically, the attention improves dramatically. And I think more importantly, the child's self-confidence improves dramatically because someone's listening, someone's encouraging, and they actually start to feel, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm good at this. I, I can answer that question. And so within our small classes, by the end of five days, our children have learnt an awful lot. And it's also very practical here, it's very hands-on, so our kids are not just sitting in the classroom for an hour and then going out 
for break. You know, they're moving around our centre. They're in the roof garden with the bees. They're on the first floor classroom. They're outside by the dipping pond. So it's all about trying to keep on motivating and encouraging their in, their enthusiasm and their interest. And it, and it works for us. It really does. Whether that could work in a school, I'm not sure. But I know from us, the evaluations we get from the kids, from the teachers, from visiting staff, it's all very, very positive. Yeah, totally. And as you say there about the space, I think this space plays a huge role in it. Obviously, yeah. your VFOS and, and how you're doing it in the post-it, but I think the space as well, it seems very well set up, very well laid out. Yeah. There's good outside space. As you say, you've got the bees and there's the resident, uh, little Shih Tzu Benji. Yeah, the dog Benji. The, well, the Benji's great. Benji's been with us for just under a year now and uh, he's a really great tool for learning because a lot of children come to us especially children who perhaps have come from another country where you know the habit of owning dogs is is not acceptable or you know is not encouraged and they're very scared at first and you know Benji's a little cuddly teddy bear shih tzu basically who they all love and they all stroke him. By the end of the week, they're all stroking him. They're all getting him sitting on their, on their knee and everything. So it really is a great way of, of bringing them into, you know, encouraging them to like dogs as well. And I, and, I, and, I, and I think for us, within anywhere within our centre, you're only 10 seconds from the outside, whether that's on the balcony, whether that's on the roof garden, or as you say, whether that's in the main garden itself. So our children have always got access to the outside and they can see the outside from every area within our centre. And that was a deliberate um, planning um, planning factor for us. We wanted as much natural light as possible. And we wanted our children to be able to see outside as much as possible. So they could see the trees, they could see, you know, the plants and the pond. Because I think, you know, for a lot of kids, they don't get this sort of experience. And, and that's what we want for them. So what sort of kids tend to come here? And we, we did, on our programme, so we, for instance, we have 11 weeks of out of school programme, which is all the school holidays. Every child who comes to that is either known to the charity to be in need or is referred by another organisation. So we will work with 30, 40 organisations in a year who refer children. So women's aid, drugs unit, social work, schools, community groups, churches, um, homeless units. You know, it's it's the whole range of organisations who work with children and families in need. And that's very similar to the Christmas appeal uh, because obviously... We work with, well, last year we helped, in 2017, we helped over uh, 8,000 children and families. Sorry, 9,000. Blimey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing us down there. Over 9,000 children and families at Christmas making a difference. Uh, this year, we're hoping for exactly the same numbers, if not more. But we can't do that ourselves, so we have to work with other groups. They refer the families. We do all the fundraising and the packing, and they do the distribution. You know, so we're getting to as wide a uh, community as possible and hopefully getting to those families most in need. But in terms of, of the school programme and the outer school programme, it, it, it is about children who mightn't get these sort of experiences because a big part of our philosophy and our remit is to give children the experience of another side of life, to show them there's more to life, there's more to them. So that's what it's all about for us. We want to inspire. We want to give our kids the knowledge that they can be different. 
because for a lot of our children and, and this is the saddest thing that I've always found in, in 43 years a lot of our children very few adults speak with them they speak to them but they don't speak with them and they don't listen now you know we place, place great emphasis on talking with our children and also listening but, but don't get me wrong you know we are we run a very structured ship here our children know we have a, a behavior code they know what our rules are because it's about we want our children to start learning those social skills which will make them great adults and great young people and sadly you know a lot of our children are not picking up those skills from home or anywhere else and and i think every single child whether they're yours or mine they need to have a foundation if they're going to turn into the sort of caring mature lovely people that we would be happy and proud to know they have to have a foundation and if you can put that foundation in at the very earliest stage it's a lot easier for them absolutely and i've seen on your website on some of the videos of some past students that have come through or kids and yeah. they're now much older and they talk like how much of a difference it made to them when they were young i think that just shows a proof in the pudding what that done for them yeah it, it, it's it's hard for me because i've always been here you know, I've, I've stayed with the organisation for 43 years. So I, I still remember these adults as children. But it, it, is, it is lovely. When we were 40, we had, we had lots and lots of wonderful emails and letters from people who, you know, themselves are in their 40s. They've got their own children. And it was just wonderful to hear that, you know, they really appreciated and they really got something from the residential or coming to club you know or even you know we had we had some people who said you know what you gave me the best christmas i've ever had in my childhood and and it's very moving that and it's very emotional and it, it's not me that's doing it it's it's the teams that have existed since 1975 but more importantly it's the donors and the supporters because we live on their kindness you know we don't get central local government money we, we are a we're a traditional fundraising organisation and without the support of our donors and our friends we could achieve very little but thanks to their support you know we've lasted for 43 years we're coming to the end of our 43rd year and we've made a difference now you know I'm not going to sit here with you and say oh yeah you know we're the best thing since sliced bread we're not because there's lots of little organisations like us who are doing little bits and making a difference in their communities and that's what i'm happy to do you know we're not a big charity we're a small organization we're grassroots and we can see the difference that we make and we can work with families and individuals and children and we can say to them look we can help you and we do but it's only because of our our friends and supporters because without if they suddenly stop giving to us very quickly we would be finished yeah and um I think just going back in terms of you talking about the people that have come through and hear them stories, I suppose because you've been in it every day for 43 years, maybe sometimes you can kind of get swept up in the day-to-day, but to hear them stories of the difference it's made kind of um, maybe makes some of the the challenging days at times, which I'm sure there's been plenty of them, makes it all worth it. No, well, I'll I'll give an example. You know, 97... We were, we were at the centre. That was the first year. We, we took control in the summer. The building work had begun because we promised the council we would be open by the summer of um, 1998. 
And I, because I live locally, every night during the winter, I would come over and check security, you know. And I remember this one night because in those days, this area was kind, uh, was Liverpool's red light area. All the girls and the drugs used to happen around here. And I remember coming in one night, it was November the 5th bombing night. And I was just coming to check that everything was okay. And I could see a young woman waving at me. Now I've got a brother who's an ex superintendent who used to say to me, Stephen, whatever you do, don't make contact and do not talk to these girls because you know, sometimes the police operate a sting system. So anyway, I was ignoring her. But you know, from the corner of your eye, you can see someone moving towards you. So I was like stepping up my walking speed and then started to jog towards the gate, the security gate. Anyway, this woman was shouting at me and waving. And I was going, oh God, what am I going to do? So I got to the door, put the security lights on. And this woman said to me, don't you recognise me? And I said, no, I've never seen you before, love. I don't know you from Adam, you know. <laughs> and she said, Stephen, you took me to the Lake District. So I looked at her and I didn't recognise her. So I said, look, come into the light a minute. Come into the, come into the centre or the security area. And then uh, she told me her name. And I remembered this little girl because she was a social work referral because her mum was on the game. And, and I said to her, oh, I'd forgotten her name, but I did I did remember her when, when she told me her name. And I said, oh my goodness, you know, because it was quite depressing. You know, what? how have you ended up like this? And she said, oh, well, I was taken into care when I was 13. I had a baby when I was like 14 and a half. Baby got taken off me. I ran away, been on the gear. This is what I'm doing. And it was really sad. I thought, oh, because she was a lovely child, you know. But you know what? She turned the atmosphere around when she said, but you know what, Stephen? The only time that I felt like a normal kid when I was, when I used to come to kind, and especially when we went on residential, because it was like being part of a normal family, you know. I'd get up at, at a proper time. I had four meals a day. I cleaned clothes, my own bed. And it, it was like having like, lots of big brothers and sisters looking after me. And I've still got all my badges and all my photographs. And, and, it, and it, it was still very sad and, you know, and I wished her all the best and I said, look, you've got to stop. You've got to stop this. You've got to... And she said, yeah, look, I will. And I've never seen her again and I hope that she did turn her life round. But for me, although it was very sad, you know, that she was on the game and on the drugs, but somewhere in her childhood, she's got something positive to look back on. And hopefully that bit of positivity is going to affect her later life and she's going to realise, look, I've got to get back to being like everybody else. You know, I've got to get off the drugs, I've got to get off the streets. And I'm hoping that she has, and you know, and that she's she's settled somewhere, hopefully. That's an incredible story. And I think, like you say, that she's got that anchor point yeah. to, to hopefully. a time when maybe yeah. some people don't even have that. No. It's no. just a lot of pain and a lot well, of... But her life, she had a chaotic childhood. <clears throat> you know, we, we worked with the family for about five years. She came from about eight till she was 13, well, till she was taken into care, basically. And, uh, you know, we did Christmas for them. And mum, you know, I've got to say, mum was lovely, but on drugs, and and she used to go on the street to, to pay for the drugs. And, you know, she wanted to do her best, but she just said, this, this is my life. And obviously it got to the stage where the young girl was taken in, into care and uh, never seen the mum again. But as you say, 
somewhere in our childhoods, there's got to be something positive to look back on and say, I was good then, you know, I was good at doing that. I can do that. I can achieve. And that's what we try and do with all our children, that they can be the best they can. That's all we want them to be. Not every child's going to be a doctor. Not every child's going to be an engineer, you know. But if you're going to be the best road sweeper, if you're going to be the best shop assistant, that's all you can, that's, that's the best you can be. And that's great. And you encourage your children to be the best they can. And, and that's what we're all about. It's saying you can be the best you can and we're going to help you do it. And I think that's why this charity is so important and why you've lasted for 43 years and it's this grassroots movement because it's playing such a key role in in this area. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think we try and do our best. You know, the one thing I say to everybody who supports our work is, look, we're a small charity, but I can guarantee to you 92 pence in every pound that you donate is spent on our projects and yet we do employ staff but they're teachers they're learning mentors their support staff we have a full-time gardener so you know we're not paying for fundraisers or marketeers you know we don't do that uh i get i'm on the as a chief exec i'm on the lowest salary out of all of our team and that's my choice because i want to be able to say to people you know your money is being spent where it should be on the kids. Like for instance, the Christmas appeal, last year we raised 84,000 pounds and we spent 84,000 pounds. So it's a proper Christmas appeal. Now, whether we can keep on going, I'm 63, you know, I would hope I'd still be here for our 50th. So, you know, we'll celebrate my 70th, Kai's 50th. I, I hope, you know, that could be then. Now we're, then we're looking about to say, we need to pass our work on now really. Uh, because I, I love coming to work I really love every day because every day is different but as you get older you get more tired your memory goes as we all know but touch wood all right so far absolutely and you know the way um, the way you've approached it on I think you just said that you've been doing it for 43 years yeah. and I remember when I first met you I couldn't believe I thought you must have started this when you were 10 or something. So probably doing this has driven you and it kept you youthful. You say the fact that you love coming to work, mm. there's, I was doing some research a while ago, and supposedly 70% 70, 70 of people don't like the job. And mm. of and then actually a third of people hate the job. Yeah. So to have something which is which has almost got meaning, and I think something that's run through a lot of the interviews that I've been doing, as that seems to be like a real purpose in what people are doing, it's actually that deeper meaning, that call to sort of be of service to some way, that actually gives you the motivation and it fuels your passion to keep doing yeah, what you're doing. I think, I think that's right. I think there are lots of us in every community who make a difference in small ways, and you know that's kind. We make a difference in a small way. We're not mega, uh, but I I look forward coming in and and as you say it must be horrible to wake up in the morning and think another eight hours you know i mean we've all we all get there when we're not well or you know we've we've, we've had a bad day or something and and don't get don't get me wrong i have bad days you know i have days when i'm thinking why am i doing this but then something will happen you know i'll because I'll, i'm still although i'm the chief exec i still work with the children every day so you just speak to a child who says oh, you know what, Stephen, we just made bread. And it was like in the mindfulness, they do bread. And we just had it with your honey and it was like, wow. And you just think, you know what? That child will never have had homemade bread, which they've made, and then tasted honey straight from the hive. And, and that 
really to me that says you know that's why I do this job or you know a, a child when we're on on residential who says I've never been in a kayak or a canoe I've never done that before and I didn't think I was going to be any good but you know what I am and and that's what I say in 43 years some of the saddest things is when a child will say to you I don't want to do that and you say well have you ever done it before no no but I don't want to do it and it's all about they don't want to fail again because for a lot of the children it's constant failure and but with encouragement with support they do it and they say that was amazing you know they climb up the rock face they hit the target with the archery they canoe in a straight line and they don't fall out and it's just all right it's little things but you know what it's building their self-confidence it's building their self-esteem it's saying to them you know you can succeed you can achieve and you can be the best you can and that's what it's about for us small things absolutely that it's um it really isn't it all add up little things yeah and, and i think sometimes it's them you know it's called kind the charity but them random acts of kindness mm. and them things that happen they they add up in such a significant way over time so i'm interested to know um a little bit about how it started so obviously it's 43 years ago was there a particular event that triggered it for you that you wanted to get involved and help children I I come from a large working class family. Uh, we lived in six rooms, twelve of us, and had the best childhood in the world. You know, we didn't know we were disadvantaged, but we were. But but everybody around us was the same. But, you know, I was born in 1955, so you know my childhood is late 50s, early 60s, and thankfully, you know, I passed the 11 plus. Went to a very posh school called Quarry Bank in. Uh, in Walton, met a completely different class of boy there who, you know, my friends were, dads were unemployed, seamen, bin men, you know, went to this school, their, their dads were all solicitors, doctors. But one of my best friends, Ian Collins, his dad was an NSPCC inspector. And from about the age of 14, we were drawn in, you know, sponsored events, flag days. But every year they used to do a residential into, into Wales. And, you know, it, it was, I'm sure we were rubbish, but we we were brought along as the volunteers. And for us, it was a great thing because, you know, there was lots of females, lots of women there, our age. Uh, but it was a good laugh as well. And I really enjoyed it. And then I stayed with, as a volunteer with the NSPCC right through school until I left in 73. And 73, uh, Reg Collins, Ian's dad, basically said, we're not doing the residential anymore. We haven't got the money. We haven't got the staff. And you would never do this now. You'd never get away with it with, you know, DBSs and everything else. But I said, well, can I do it? Reg, you know, I've been doing it for years. Let You supply the kids. I'll do all the fundraising. I'll get the volunteers from, from school. And he said, yeah, as long as it doesn't cost us anything, yeah. you can do it. And that was our first, first, went back to the same place, to Wales. And you know what? I absolutely loved the organising. And I loved being with the kids in charge. I thought, this is for me really. And so from 73, the idea was that we would set up our own charity. And, and another school friend of mine, Greg Sorrell, had come up with uh, Kinder. And we thought, well, oh, it's a bit German sound. It doesn't, they might. So we, we shortened it to kind, kids in need and distress. And you know what, we, we, 
we're still kind, but we're no longer kids in need and distress because obviously times have changed. So we're now kind, investing in the future, our children. Because, you know, we don't want to label our kids. But when we were first setting up, that name did what it said on the can. That's who we work with. And so from 73 till we got registered in 75, I was working. Uh, we did the summer and we did weekends. And I was, you know, slowly fundraising. And then we became registered. And I made the decision then, really, that this is what I wanted to do. So, I, you know, apart from three years at uni, which gave me three years working a kind almost full time, I, uh, that's been my whole career, really. Uh, I, I, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I think I've built something which has done a job and, and has made a difference. And I've, I always say, you know, when I go and do my talks, even if it's one child a year, I'd be happy with that. You know, because we've made a difference in someone's life. And that's all you can do. That's all you can hope to do, make a difference in someone's life. And so, really, from, from my experiences in secondary school, working as a volunteer with the NSPCC, um, that really brought me to a position where I thought, this is what I want to do. I was very lucky, you know. Uh, I'm a very good salesman. I'm a very good business person. And I've used those skills to make sure that, you know, kind is well-run financially, because you've got to be. Uh, so we've we've never had any debt. Uh, we, we have a small reserve, which is great. Uh, but we don't overspend because I bank every check and every donation and I write every check. I sign off the check so I know exactly what we've got in the bank. So I know what we can spend and where we need to save. So I've, I've used, it's very old, you know, we're very old fashioned. We have, we have an accounts book, which is income at the front, expenditure at the back. People laugh and say, oh, you should be on the computer. It's not for me, I'm afraid. I like to write everything in so I know. I do a monthly reconciliation, I do a weekly reconciliation, so I know where we are. So very old, we are, we are very old fashioned. I have to say this, Rob, we are very old fashioned. We're a dinosaur amongst charities, you know, New charities would laugh at the way we work. But you know what? We're still here and we're still doing what we did in 1975. It still, it works. Yeah, it works for us. Yeah, yeah. It works and, you know, like you say, 43 years, yeah. quite a journey you've gone on. And um, yeah, it's um, and it, it's much, it's amazing, I think, for people who listen to this as well. And something that certainly resonates with me is that a lot of people now um, kind of like might get passionate about something and do something but it might just be a few years time but for you to do something for 43 years that shows so much commitment that I think it's kind of I'd love to see that still happening now but I don't know whether that's quite it's quite an yeah. achievement yeah I, I the problem I find now is that there's nobody in post when I who was with me when I started so you know other organizations they've either moved on or retired and our sector now is very professional. You know, it, it is very, it, it's a career now. Now, I, I never saw it as a career. I saw it as a vocation originally. Uh, but it's a career now. People stay in post for five years and move up or move across or move to another organisation. And so it, it's constantly trying to, you know, make new connections. I, I say to everybody, you know, a founder chief exec is the biggest advantage for any organisation and the biggest disadvantage because to change you have to change me and it's 63 that's getting harder you know I'm surrounded by a young team 
you know the rest of our team are, are, are fairly young and it's great because they're very much into social media they're very much into the website and me I'm a technophobe I like I use my phone to speak to people you know that's it uh, it's just a good job I've got a 15 year old who can actually uh, <laughs> manipulate everything for me but the biggest disadvantage the biggest advantage I give us continuity you know uh, I can remember what we did in 1975 the big problem we'll face and and this is a problem you know that that businesses face is 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 there a is there a succession plan what, what will happen to kind you know when I do get to 70 or 75 what happens and you know what it might be that some organizations have a natural life and that they finish and you know whatever resources are left you pass on to us another emerging charity which you feel has got your philosophy and your remit as well because very often you know organizations and charities they exist not because of what they're doing but because there's been a whole structure built around that charity of people's jobs and you know investments and and you just think you were set up to do something that's changed but are you shouldn't you now say well you know we've done our job and so I, I think it might be that you know kind will come to, to a natural end and we'll pass on it might be you know somebody there might be someone out there who says you know what I'm gonna come and work for you for free because we couldn't pay a deputy that's the problem you know it, 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 it's it's not feasible for us to do that but that's something that we've got to think about over the coming years, really, and, and which we are thinking about seriously. I think it's it's good to have that approach to think, well, you know, things do have a, a lifespan, mm, and that's okay. It's not necessarily you feel like you've got to hold on to it. It has no. to develop into something else. No. If Even if it ended today, you've done so much incredible work in 43 years. It's not going to end today, Rob. It's not, it's not going to end today. No. no, definitely not today. But you know what I mean, in terms of like what you've done already, you know, in another seven years or another however mm. long, then... Yeah, because yeah, I, I think, you know, there will be other organisations who will be setting up and we could be looking at them and saying, you know what, we could give you a start. We, you know, we could help you as well because we've got a resource here which, you know, we can pass on. But we'll see. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I, I keep on saying, oh, seven years, I'll be knackered, you know, I'm going to go. But it must be end up, I could be like the oldest charity chief exec in the world. At 90. <laughs> well, at 90, yeah. <laughs> bit doddery like, but you know. We'll have to have a lift. We've got a lift. We'll have to have a, a, a stanner as well, a stanner stair lifting for, the, uh, for me to sit on. Someone yeah. else might have to be writing the chat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, I'm interested to know, because obviously you've been here for so long and you've seen like, so many different children come through, mm. and how would you say their challenges have changed during that time, or is there any of them that are just basically at the core of the same challenges that kids are having? Poverty is, is a big challenge. Uh, sadly, you know, in, in 2018, with the first world economy, we haven't solved childhood poverty we haven't we haven't developed a system where every child has almost the same chance as every other child and I think for me it's very difficult I started in 75 and I think you know we're still having cases where we supply a school uniform we supply a pair of shoes we supply a bed because the child's sleeping on the floor or there's two of them in the same bed 
and I'm thinking 43 years on and we're still doing you know so we as a community we as a society have to come to terms with children are our future you know it's a great song but it's true children are the future we've got to ensure that every single child gets the best opportunity to be the best they can to improve our society and to give back to our society and I think if a child doesn't even have a bed you know if a child can't go to school because they've not got shoes or they've not got the right school uniform there's a problem so we're still dealing with that and it's not something that we can do all the time because you know that's not what we're funded to do but when we do have money i give you an example now with uh, you know the, the new universal credit we've had a, a referral from social work uh, a single dad with a 12 year old he's gone on to universal credit no cash they don't know when he's going to get any money he's run out of food bank voucher uh, his house is not great you know he's using a kettle which is taped up so we had some money from uh, some bits and pieces that we'd sold so we've managed to sort out a bed for his son we've sorted a microwave kettle toaster and we filled his cupboards i can't do that every week but at least he's got a start at least he knows someone else is concerned about him and at least his son knows that as well he's got a 12 year old you know uh and we'll help out at christmas you know we'll make sure that that child has some lovely gifts to open on christmas morning and that again their cupboards are full but i'm not solving their problems and i think that's that's for that's for a higher plane than me but we as a community we as a society we have to address childhood poverty what do you think can happen from a, a broader spectrum you know in terms of like what like maybe could the councils be doing more could governments be doing more or do you think it has it's to got be- to be central because i mean local government funding has been absolutely cut to the bone you know they they can only do so much with what they've got really and it now this is the problem now isn't it it's like the third sector is stepping in you know the voluntary sector is stepping in to help uh but we we have to have a position where if people need support that the level of support they get enables them to live properly that they can buy their children clothes they can buy enough food you know we've got this big thing about and and we've got this big thing about you know being healthier as adults but really if your if your income only allows you to eat processed food and the cheapest processed food you're not going to and you're a child you're not going to be a healthy adult it's going to take a lot more than that you know to get you to be healthy so you know we have to ensure that our benefits are not overly generous i mean i think you know the tories are right in that respect it should pay to work so if you're doing 16 hours you should get, you should be feel better off than if you're signing on but if you are signing on that level of money you get should be enough to look, to look after you to make sure you're well fed you can heat your house and you can clothe your kids because otherwise we are going back to victorian times what are your thoughts on the i think it's been modeled a few times in scandinavia and the attempting it in scotland of the basic living income that yeah. would potentially be picked across the board yeah. for everyone yeah i think you know we're a first world country we have a first world economy you know if we have to pay a bit more tax 
if, if they're better off have to pay a bit more tax then so be it because you know we can't see fellow members of our community in positions where they can't even clothe their children properly you know I don't want to go back to Victorian days where you know we've got these great benefactors who dole out their cash you know it should be as of right as a British citizen it's a right that you're able to feed yourself and your children you're able to clothe them and to heat your home okay uh, that's 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 my wish list and if I've got to pay extra tax for that I'm happy to you know because I know as long as we know that our taxes are being used for that our taxes are being used to keep on providing health care at the point of need without any cost yeah and that might be, you know, that might be people saying, oh, yeah, you know, you're just a dreamer. But you know what? It's not, we're not, we're a small country. We're going to be leaving Europe. You know what I mean? We're going to become even more isolated. So if leaving Europe means we can spend more of our money in this country helping and then we can spend more money abroad, so be it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Huge challenges that we face, there's no doubt. And I Terrible think, challenges. And I think maybe some people that are listening to this and... Um, will kind of be some of the stories that you tell of like how you hear the hardship and the poverty mm. a lot of people listen to this won't necessarily relate with that because it's not the day-to-day yeah. but I think it's it's so important that we become more conscious of these things and we we understand them and the gap between the rich and the poor quality is just growing it's just growing yeah and, and, and I think for me from a children's point of view you know lots of our our kids are not being inspired you know because we're, we're working with children where nobody in the family has ever worked nobody's gone on to further education now with it, you know there's loads of cases where they have and they are and that's great but I think for those children where there's no aspiration there's no there's no incentive to, to do better because I'll sign on that's what my dad does that's what my brothers do that's what my uncle does we've got to break that cycle and that's the hardest thing to do. And I think, you know, in some ways, the Tories did have some decent ideas about that. You know, I think work must pay. Further education must pay. But we can't, we can't justify that by making those people who can't work or can't go, to further, or can't go on to further education, penalising them. That's not right. That's not civilised. So you don't get any um, support in terms of you're all completely sort of relied voluntary. on voluntary on donations and stuff and we've been you know Rob we, we've been very very fortunate we've, we've got no debt we own our centre you know we were left enough money in a legacy to buy our centre by a lovely old lady Megan Jones from Oswestry, Street and we're very fortunate and, and we realise that and that's why we do the best we can to make sure that those legacies, those donations are used properly and get to the, those children and families most in need. Would you mind um, sharing Megan's story with us? <laughs> Megan's story is lovely. Megan rang me, oh, it's six years ago now. It was one half term. Uh, sorry, it, it was one of our prep weeks and she rang me and she said, I'm Megan Jones, in, in, in a lovely Welsh accent, but which, which I won't even attempt to do. And um, she said, my sister has just passed away. 
So I said, oh, very sorry to hear that, Megan. And she said, yeah, and she's left me a cottage and all of her belongings. And because my sister worked in Liverpool in Kensington during the Second World War as a teacher, I would like to leave something in my will to a children's, uh, to a children's charity. And she said, I've tried some of the bigger Liverpool charities who I won't name, but they don't seem very interested. So I said, well, look, Megan, I'll come down and get you in Oswestry, Street and we'll bring you up to our centre and you can have a look around. And so the next day we went down for Megan because it was a prep week, we had no kids in. So we went down for Megan, we brought her and a carer up. She had a look around. I mean, I've got to say, we treated her like the Queen Mother. You know, sandwiches from Marks and Spencers, a china teacup for her. And, but she was lovely and she was interested and uh, she said, Stephen, this is great. You know, this is the sort of thing that I want to support. But I'd like to, see, I'd like to come back and see it when the kids were there. So I said, yeah, next week, kids are in. I'll come back for you Tuesday. Again, same thing, Marks and Spencer's butties looked after really well. And then we'd send, you know, after that, we'd send a card and everything. And, and then we didn't really hear from her. And I used to say to the staff, God, you know what, I bet Megan... I bet she rings every bloody charity in the Northwest <laughs> saying, I'm thinking about leaving you some money. Can you come and show me around? And she has some amazing days out. But anyway, a couple of years ago, we had a phone call again during half term. And it was a very posh guy uh, who asked me to ring him back from Oswestry, Street, which I did. And it turns out that this guy was Megan's solicitor. And that sadly, she'd passed away that week, 96. She'd never gone into her home she got into hospital with it with a broken hip and they were about to put it into her home but she passed away which i think was great for her that's what she would have wanted she was so independent so he said well obviously megan loved coming to kind and you, you know she was going to leave you a legacy i said yeah and then it, me usually i would say how much but i thought no i can't so we, we spoke for about 20 minutes and then he said <laughs> would you like to know how much she's left you? i said well yeah i would actually so he said, well, she's left you a hundred thousand. A hundred. So I, had to, I said, a hundred. He said, a hundred thousand. And there's a little bit more once we finalise the estate. So we went to Megan's funeral. And this was the saddest thing, really. Um, she left 50 bequests to local charities in Oswestry. Street. You know, a couple of thousand pounds. But there was only six of us at the funeral. And I thought, that, that is very sad for such a wonderful, generous lady. But anyway, £100,000 came in very quickly and it was just at the time we were renegotiating our lease for the, for the seed centre. And so I, I rang the council and I said, look, we've had this legacy, it's 100000 what about us buying the freehold? And they came back and said, oh, it's not enough. So I said, okay, but that's all we've got really. But in the meantime, I had another phone call from the solicitor who said, we finalised Megan's estate and I've just backed over your final payments and then the estate is now finalised. So I said, oh, that's great. So I was expecting three or four thousand you know, from the sale of furniture and stuff. Checked the bank account, 50,000 pounds. Wow. 150,000, straight onto the council. We've got an extra 50, will that make a difference? They came back within a couple of days and said, we'll sell it to you. So Megan's kindness and generosity secured our future because we own the centre and uh, I always look up and say sorry Megan for ever doubting you I knew you'd come through for us it's such a lovely story yeah absolutely lovely story and I bet you're glad you rolled up the Marks and Spencer well, I am now. because you know uh, she was a lovely 
ordinary pet you know for her to have that much money I, I couldn't believe it really but she was a lovely woman she had a real interest in children and you know she had a history a, a brother was a pharmacist she had a very interesting history but for us to leave all that money to a Liverpool charity you know when she was she was Welsh but based in Oswald Street I just thought you know what I'm a great believer in kismet in fate and it was fate that we met you know that someone else didn't pick up on the on, on her request and go and get her you know and we've got a lovely painting of her downstairs in our gym on, on our forever friends wall and every time we go past I always smile at her because you know hopefully she's looking down on us and saying Stephen I'm glad I chose kind you're doing wonderful things with the money I left you keep it going well hopefully on on some plane of existence she's listening she along is, to this yeah, now yeah she is and, 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 and if, if she is thank you Megan no, it's absolutely beautiful. And the thing you talk about there about faith, I think there's probably been numerous times where things have just come at the absolute yeah. perfect yeah. timing for Believe you. Believe in faith, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, me too. And I think everything can happen for a reason. Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, we've had, we've been shortlisted for awards and we've been short, well, for, for money awards and we've not got them. And you think, oh, blimey, you know, what we could have done with that. And the next next day, someone rings up and says, Oh, I've read about you because you were shortlisted. I'm going to send you a check. So, yeah, it, you know, swings and roundabouts. And, and if it's meant for us, it will happen. And if it's not, it won't. Well, I think there's definitely a lot of um, positive force behind this. If it's been going for so long. And it seems like as well that um, over the years you've been recognised as well. And I understand that you were awarded the highest honour in Liverpool back in 2012 of the freedom of the city. Yeah, I, that was a, a wonderful one. And I'm just so sad that my mum and dad uh, aren't alive, really, you know, to 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 see that. Because it, it was special for me because, you know, obviously my dad was from China. And, you know, he was an immigrant. He came to Liverpool and married my mum, who was a scouser, and had ten children. But that was the first time that Liverpool has ever recognised anybody from you know, an ethnic minority, a non-white ethnic minority. So I was so pleased to be the first person. And it was such an honour, uh, not only for me, but, you know, for all the supporters that we have, all the staff that have worked with KIND, all the volunteers. Uh, and I, I was so proud because, you know, I love Liverpool. Liverpool is my home and it's it's done so much for me as, as a person. And it, it's... It's nice to be recognised by by the city, and uh, and kind all also has been recognised. Kind has also got the freedom of the city as well, which is also a tremendous honour. And how did that sort of come about? Is it? I think you just get you get proposed, and it has to be a unanimous decision of the council, which thankfully it was. <laughs> um, but it was just an amazing event, and you know I'd, I'd invited so many of my school friends and people who'd supported KIND over the years. So there was an awful lot of people there and it was wonderful to see them. It was a nice way to bring everybody together to celebrate this really. And and for them to realise that they played a part in it, which they had, you know. You know, you were almost 40 years in at that point. Yeah. And I think this is a thing as well, when we can send to start, so when you started properly in 1975, mm. No grand plans, no, no ideas for this centre, no to be given the freedom of the city. No, no, and, no, no. and it just. I've got to be happens. honest, I didn't think I'd keep on doing it. I enjoyed it, but I thought, you know what, I must be, do this, and then I'll go and get a job. But I just, I just enjoyed it so much, and, and, and working with the kids. I think that's the beauty of it. I think 
for a lot of people who, who move up the scale, the further they move up, the further away they get from the people they're working with. Now, every day that we have children in, I'm here, so I'm working directly with them. And I think that's the, that's the difference. So I, I've still, I'm still quite grounded in that respect. I know where our money's doing. It's great, because I can see it from a practical point of view. You know, I still go and deliver stuff, furniture, food, clothing. I still deliver that to families. You know, it's not someone else who does that. It's us, because you know, we're a small team. Um, but yeah, I, I never thought we would be where we are now. And, and that's great, you know, and I think for me, especially, it feels that my life has meant something, really. So if I stopped it today, as you say, I would feel, yeah, you know what? I did achieve something, all right? I'm not the richest person in the world. But I can honestly say that there are people within our community who are different, who are here because of the work that Kind's done with them. You know, it's, it's, have, um, it's got a real meaning to your life and real yeah. purpose. So it's like, what would you rather have now? £10 million in the bank and you would have just built that up and maybe not contributed as much, but all you've done instead, you know, that's worth, for me, billions in a way. In terms of It'd still be nice to have £10 million <laughs> in the bank, I have to, I won't be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have to fundraise again, but no, hey-ho. It's, uh, no, no, I, 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 I would agree with you, yeah. And then just back to the freedom of the city. So you're in good company there, aren't you? I believe Nelson Mandela yeah. and the likes of the Beatles have received it. So, yeah, I mean it, it's it's an amazing achievement to see your name in the town hall, and and after that, thankfully, there was another uh, local guy, uh, Wally Brown, who's from uh, the Afro Caribbean community. You know that that is roots, minds of the Chinese, and he was awarded it as well. So it, it is it is. We've opened the floodgates a little bit, hopefully. So um, I'm interested. So what does the, the Freedom of City give you? Do, you? do you get some sort of master key line man so you can go into little no. hidden places all yeah, over the city? You're allowed to unsheathe your sword in Castle Street and also walk down your sheep. You're allowed to walk your sheep down Castle Street as well. But it's a lovely, it's a lovely um, hand-painted woven certificate in a lovely case and and it was an amazing night you know my family were all there and uh, my kids and it was just and the grandkids it was just nice that, that everybody could be there you know Incredible. it was just a nice nice night so suppose you've not got a sword or any sheep to... not got a sword or a sheep no, no <laughs> sadly and did you receive an mba as well i got an mba yeah many years ago yeah um and again it, it's it's lovely to be recognized but i think for me the freedom was was the most important because it's local and it's being recognised by where you live, you know, and I think that, that's, that's great. And it, it was wonderful because I, I live in town and I walk everywhere. So, you know, to walk through town and, and it was really nice. You know, I had people coming up to me saying, well done, Steve, you deserve that. Or, you know, mate, I've seen you on the in the Echo, well done. You, you know, it, it's nice when someone normal gets it and that's what I thought you know I am normal I, I shop in town you know I don't I still see you know lots of the kids who are now adults that we that we've worked with lots of the families so it's not like I've moved out anywhere I'm still where I've always lived in Liverpool one all my life and I'm still here and I think that like you say that like local people be will be um, congratulate you and recognize yeah, it. it was lovely and it's that is actually I think really inspiring for people going up to see you know actually 
it's amazing that that's happened to Stephen and who yeah, knows yeah, yeah. it might you know they might go down the different path in their life think well I want to be of service in some way I mm. want to do some good yeah hopefully help. I mean that, 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 that's what it's about isn't it if we can it's about inspiring and aspiration you know that's 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 what we're about so I'm interested to know about we touched on it you appear very youthful for your age and you my been, wife she gets all the credit Trisha you get all the credit for you get all the credit so take cooking do you have a particular you know like you know what's, what's your daily routine look like then is it does it change much during the past 43 years what no it, no, it has because I used to be a runner uh, until I got knocked over so I was out quite early doors running because I used to get my running in the morning or after work and it's always better in the morning you, you, you feel up for it so I'm, I'm an early riser for most of the week you know in, into work for usually half a seven um, you know depending on what's 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 to do so no my, my, my routine is different every day because I think that's the beauty of the job it's different every day you know we're, we're now well into the Christmas appeal so you know the next the next six weeks are going to be absolutely frantic really uh, we're still looking for our warehouse that's that's the big thing for us we need to find a warehouse in which all our hampers can be packed uh, we're just starting to work with different companies and individuals and organizations about toys and donations and you know who's going to be helping us to pack the hampers so so this is a very busy stressful time i, I do i do i'm gonna admit i do get stressed um and i'm trying to de-stress really i'm trying to take a bit of mindfulness on board now um because as my wife says look you can only do what you can do sometimes i'm i'm lying awake at night thinking i should be doing more really but you can't you know you can only do what you can do i mean that's a great expression and i think that's what i've got to sort of start to realize you know as, as especially as you do get older you can only do what you can do and that's what we can do but i have to say the christmas appeal we've never had to say no now whether that's the same this year because i do feel with the introduction of universal credit we're going to get a lot more referrals this Christmas from families who have just signed, you know, for the new benefit, but have not been paid or not sure when they're going to get paid. So they're going to be struggling at Christmas. So do you say last year it was about 9,000 families? 9,000, yeah. yeah. 9,000 people or families? Uh, no, people. People, people in total. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's working with a wide range of organisations across our community of Merseyside so we work with all the five boroughs um, and as I say the, the remit is trying to get out to the, the ones most in need really to make a difference as I say to give them a Christmas to remember and not to forget so they'll all get like a, a Christmas hamper they each. get yeah and, and I've got to say to you Rob you know these hampers are not food bank parcels these are the sort of hamper that if you got it if I get it I would say wow that's good you know, because what we try and do at Christmas, and we do have some discussion about this, but what, what I've always done, if I've always put branded goods, no value goods, because I feel our families struggle all year round, very often buying what's the best offer really, or the cheapest. So at Christmas, we give them something which is special. And there's over 70 items in there. So, you know, it's enough for the week. And the toys are beautiful. I have to say, we get we, we get so well supported with toys. Um, so you know, we know that thousands of kids are waking up on Christmas morning happy, really, and parents are happy as well because they know they've given their kids an amazing Christmas. We're not solving these problems. I've got to be honest with you. You know, I say that to everybody. 
but we're giving them the sort of Christmas that we want for our own children and for ourselves. It's an amazing gift. Yeah, it's an it amazing is an amazing gift. gift. And, and, and that's only achievable thanks to our friends and supporters because without them, we could do very little. With them, we can continue making a real, real difference in thousands of lives at this special time of the year. So is it is it cost about seventy five pound? Is it right to, to, in the region? To, yeah, yeah. We're just a, that's another busy thing now. We're just in the process of sourcing and you know negotiating best price on on our food. I think you know for people who would be like listen to that and you know think that if they could contribute, you know, it might not be a lot of money for some people as well. And it, for considering what they may spend on say Christmas presents yeah. and other stuff like that, to potentially divert some of that cash yeah. and to know that you will be giving a family that is really in need of a good Christmas for £75 mm-hmm. is to say it's something that I did last year yeah. and I then I got a letter from you and I passed this I got this letter and reprinted it out and gave it to all the kids and said look that's the difference you know yeah, and you, you've made a difference yeah. here um, so. and I think that's the beauty isn't it you know thankfully you know you and I our families who are alright you know if 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 our families didn't get anything at Christmas, they'd still be all right, you know, because they've got what they need, really. But it's always nice to get a present, isn't it? So something small is lovely. But for a lot of our families, you know, there's nothing. And that's the difference, you know. So if we can come in, if we can bring a little bit of light into their dark lives. And I think at this time of the year, you know, winter is dark. But if we can bring a little bit of light into that, you know, with a lovely... We can fill their cupboards for, for Christmas and perhaps New Year. You know, they know the kid's going to open up some lovely gifts. To me, th- there's no better feeling. You know, I, I sort of go to bed Christmas Eve thinking, well, you know what? We've done what we've done. And, and tomorrow, thanks to our friends and our supporters and our staff and our volunteers, lots of kids are going to wake up with smiles and not tears. Yeah, that must... That must really warm the heart for yeah, you. Yeah, no, it does. We sleep well that night. Yeah. And I bet as well, even when you're having your your own Christmas, you can know that there's seven thousand other people yeah. that you've contributed to yeah, to their and, Christmas, and supported yeah, to. Yeah, no, it is, and it, it's, and I think again, I can't stress that every single pound that's donated at Christmas is a pound that we spend at Christmas. Now, what we've even done is over the last three years is because we've had some food left over and we've had some money in between Christmas and New Year we've actually done New Year hampers so we've gone back to our referrers and said look who could do with a who could do with a great start to the New Year so we've done a couple of hundred hampers with what's left so that all the money spent you know we can say hand on heart 84 grand raised 84 grand spent we've not we've not taken anything for next year it's all about making a difference at Christmas and New Year it is, it's really admirable, you know, you're a hero. And no, 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 I wouldn't say that. I think No, but you and your organisation yeah, and think, all yeah, your volunteers yeah, no, I think that, yeah. are doing a heroic act. We are, yeah. I think without without them, you know, one person can't change the world. I always say this, but you can change the world for one person. And if we, if we can all do that, if we all individually change the world for one person, what a, an amazing community we'd live in, you know. Uh, and I think thanks to our friends, thanks to our supporters, thanks to our staff and volunteers, we're able to make a difference. And, and I think without them, we couldn't. But with that continuing support, with that continuing goodwill, 
it, it makes a major, major difference in many lives this year. So how many people are involved in the for you and volunteering and helping in this Christmas appeal is there? 100 plus. Yeah. 100 plus because the, the physical day of packing, we have potentially 100 plus volunteers because it's very hard work, you know. It, it's a lot of cans and it's heavy work. And then there's the distribution, you know. Last year over 1,800 hampers went out and then there's they go out up till about the 21st, 22nd and then it's toys right through till Christmas Eve. So we finish here, six or seven Christmas Eve, that's the last of the toys gone out. But again, you know, the phone comes directly to my house during that break, because um, there's always some surplus, there's always some spare. So if we get a phone call from the police, from the fire brigade, from, you know, someone who's discovered someone who hasn't got anything, then we can always say, look, we've got a little bit, we've got some presents left, we can, we can always do something. And, and we've done that on Christmas Day. We had a we had a lovely uh, well it was a lovely story we had a we had a police sergeant who rang us uh, he'd been on nights Christmas Eve there was a guy who'd come in absolutely distraught because his car he'd been working for two months and his car had been broken into and all his presents had gone and he said yeah. so the, the the police sergeant from Waterloo was was so upset, you know, that he, he was ringing around different groups and left a voicemail on on our answer um, on on my home number because it went to my home number, and I rang him back because he wasn't in till I think three o'clock, and I said, look, you know, we're here, we can sort something out, you know, do you want to do it? And he said, yeah. So the guy who had the stuff stolen had a late Christmas, but his kids had a Christmas. You know, we managed to sort out some toys might sort out some food and so they still had a Christmas and I just thought you know that police sergeant had, had been so concerned that he thought you know it's not just oh it's another victim of crime he was so concerned that he made a difference and we helped him save Christmas yeah yeah yeah. from the Grinch <laughs> from the Grinch this is what I love about it, just hearing these stories because I think that's when people connect with it and they can sort of empathise and mm. they can tap into that and, and relate to it and um, so if, besides if people like I would love for people to listen to this and to and to make a donation can they also volunteer they as well volunteer. for Christmas yeah I say to all our volunteers you know and I'm going to be really honest about this the Christmas appeal is completely self-funded if I got a thousand volunteers who just wanted a pack and ten people who were helping me to fundraise there wouldn't be a lot to pack we'll be packing fresh air so I say to everybody the best, the best feeling in the world if you've done some fundraising and say you've raised 50 quid or 100 pounds, the best feeling for you is when you walk into that warehouse and you look at the food and the empty boxes and at the end of that day, you look at the full boxes and you think, you know what? I've been a part of this. I've not just packed, I've raised the money to buy that food. And that's, 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 I have people who, take time off out of their work, they take a holiday to come and do that because they say it's the real meaning of Christmas. You know, I've raised a bit of money in work amongst my mates, we've given it to you and I've come along and I've packed that hamper and I know that, that my money is being well used. It's not just gone into a pot, it's actually here and it's going out to a family in two days where they're gonna open that hamper box and say, wow. That is a wow, and I think that's amazing because sometimes you will maybe just make an online donation to something and you're like, who gets it? Where does it go? And like you say, 
percent of every donation well throughout the year but in yeah. this instance a hundred percent goes yeah. and then if you can come along and do it then yeah. you can see it wow. and we say that to people we say look if you've raised some money come along and pack and you can see where your money's going and it but it's hard work don't get me you know it is like a military operation rob i've got to say that i am like sergeant major because it's so precious to me you know i I say to all our volunteers, you know, I'm really, I'm really thankful you're here, but this is not about having a laugh because if you put in a, a dented can, if you put in a broken box, some family's going to open that and think, they've given us like seconds, you know, they don't really value us, as we're just seconds. So I say I want every single box to be opened and they say, I want the expression to be, wow, that is wonderful, I couldn't afford that. My kids are going to have an amazing Christmas meal or an amazing Christmas because I've got all that in my cupboards. And I think that's, that's, that's so important because these hampers contain, you know, Christmas crackers, mince pies, cakes, chocolate crisps, as well as all the basics, the soup, the beans, the spaghetti, the tuna, the corned beef. There's over 70 items in there, uh, over, well over. And, and I want them to, uh, to, to see that we care about them, that we value them. You know, we're not putting in dented cans. We're not putting in white label. This is a hamper that if I got, I would say, thank you. I think I think that's what we try and get over to everybody who's packing, that we want these to be pristine. Well, we've already made the decision, and me and Ruth, with our family, we've decided our secret Santa this year, we're actually going to be giving the money great, to that, Kai. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. And I think now, hearing that, we would love to come along and see come, Honestly, money. I think, you know, people come along and... There is a wow factor. Um, there, there really is. We've got to find a warehouse. That's our problem now. We're we're, we're re because we need twenty five thousand square feet. Twenty twenty five thousand square feet. So we're really pushing now. So if anybody out there who is listening to the podcast who's got contacts with warehousing, please do get in touch because we really need to have sourced a warehouse very soon, really, for us to process it. You know, to get on with it. And what tends to be the dates that? That it would happen where people would be we doing would be all packing. That we because Christmas is a Tuesday this year. We can't pack the last weekend. It's too it's it's, it's too close. So we will will either be packing the weekend before that, which I think is the sixteenth or seventeenth, or the Monday or the Tuesday. It depends really on the warehouse we get and who owns it. You know what they say to us. Whether they say you can have it for two weeks, do what you want, or they say you can only get in on certain days. That, that will depend on, on whoever gives us the warehouse. And in the past, the warehouse has been donated. Donated, yeah. Because yeah. I say to everybody, you know, we're, we're speaking to a number of uh, companies who own warehouses. We're more than happy to pay, but I have to tell them that any money that we have to pay for the warehouse will come out of what we've raised for the food. So potentially, if they say to me it's a thousand pounds, that's a thousand pounds worth of food that I can't distribute. Yeah. And in the main, they usually say you can have it. <laughs> Well, that's good. And it's their gift as well. It is their gift and it's their corporate responsibility as well, which is great. And, you know, we will do, we will we will go the extra mile to get them as much positive publicity as we can. But we've got, we've got Joe Anderson, who's our elected mayor, and Steve Rotherham, who's our metro mayor. They're both on the case as well. So hopefully, some, sometime quite shortly, we will, we will know we've got our warehouse. And I think that you talked about before, about this idea of faith. Um, and I'm sure every year it's it's come. It is tight, yeah, every it, year. It, it's tight, but it happens. It happens, no. We've never dropped in, this is our 43rd year, we've never dropped in 42. Wow. 
So I'm interested to know, do you know any sort of the numbers that in that time, potentially, like, it must be tens of thousands of kids and families. You know what, Rob? Maybe even hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I think you're right. But you know what we never do because we're so small. And and this is perhaps something we've got to look at. But it, we never sort of write down the numbers. You know, we've never we've not got someone who's saying this is the outcomes because we're too busy. That's the problem. You know, you absolutely run off your feet, picking up stuff, delivering stuff, getting stuff ready. And so you know, you know, we 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 get all the referrals coming in through the post. They have to be physically entered to make sure there's no duplication, because that, that's what we're very keen on. You know that that our the families were supporting, they're not getting two or three, and there's some families not getting anything. Um, so we've never really sat down and said, you know what, we did X amount of kids, X amount of adults, X amount of single people. We you know, we, it's not something we do, and we perhaps should look at that. How I, d- I don't know, but if there's a way, someone out there knows. Tell us. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least, even if you haven't got it jotted down somewhere, at least you know it is. Well, we know from the referrals. Yeah, it is big numbers. To be fair, it's the largest. <laughs> but you see, the other thing is, and and I'm I'm not saying this in in a critical way, but we never get the the full uh, credit for the Christmas appeal because we don't deliver the hampers. So if you're Mrs. Smith and your social worker, John, delivers your hamper, it's John, isn't it? It's, oh, we've got this great hamper and the toys from John. It's not via kind. And and that's fine. You know, I, I'm not really that bothered about that. But because as long as they're getting the stuff and it's making a difference at Christmas. But sometimes I do feel, you know what, it would be nice for people to know that that their 50 quid made that much difference or their 100 pound or their 20 pound or, or even their 10 pound you know it, it all builds up I, I'm amazed how it does build up because we don't get mega mega money in fact you know what we've just had our largest donation at Christmas we were chosen by Merseyside Police Federation to be the charity for their annual dinner which is which, which happened last week and we've just received for Christmas a check for £12,000, which is our largest Christmas check. So, you know, I'm really confident that the appeal is well on the way to reaching its target for the 43rd year and helping so many people. That is amazing to hear. Yeah, it's good. Absolutely amazing. So, look into the future beyond Christmas. What plans are you thinking for Kind? Obviously, you know, 43 years yeah. in, the uh, 63. We, we've got some exciting plans for the future. We've been offered uh, an amazing building in the heart of Liverpool 8, which is on Princess Road, on the way to the park. It's it's an old Welsh Presbyterian church, which has been derelict now for 21 years. It's been It was built over 157 years ago by the Welsh immigrants into Liverpool to be their church, their community centre. And we've been offered it for a pound in partnership with Merseyside Buildings Preservation Trust, but there is six million pounds worth of refurb on the building to turn it into an amazing centre. We've applied for national National heritage money, and we'll know in December if we've gone through to first stage. I would love to save this building. It's a building I've passed all my life. I've run past it, I've walked past it, I've pushed prams past it, I've walked the dog past it. 
And you know what, Rob? I, I went in this time last year for the first time in many, many years. And it's got no roof. It's got no windows. It's got no floor. But yeah, it's got an atmosphere. It's got an atmosphere which makes you feel at home. And I thought, you know what? I want to be here. I want to save this building for the next hundred years. I want it to be used again as as a part of the wider Liverpool Merseyside community. But more importantly as well, I want to celebrate the fact that this was built by immigrants into our city. And I want I want people to know the benefits that immigration has given to our city and and the and the the impact that the Chinese, the Afro-Caribbeans, the Somalis, the Jews, the Irish, the difference they've made to our community, the Welsh, I forgot the Welsh, the Welsh, the difference they've made to, to the, and the impact they've had on the Liverpool community. You know, because we're all immigrants, aren't we really? Uh, and if, if we can welcome the next wave of immigration, whether that be from, you know, Iraq, whether that be from, you know, East Europeans and say come in make a difference become part of the city but a big part of that I do feel has to be assimilation you know I, I'm proud to be part Chinese but I'm a scouser and that's what it's weird we we, we were one of the first groups to deal during the Kosovo crisis with Kosovan children who came to our outer school clubs and it was weird because they you know within a year, the same kids had gone from pronounced, you know, East European accents to being Scousers. If you close your eyes, you would think they're Scousers. And yet their parents, when they picked them up, very little English. So it, 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 it's an incentive, isn't it, to assimilate and for you, for the next generation, to become Scousers. Because that's what we are. You know, if you're going to live in Liverpool, you're a Scouser. And it, it, it doesn't matter whether you're born here whether you come in as long as you love the city you're a scouser and, and I think that's that's so important for me that uh, we welcome immigration because if we look at our history the history of this country it's built on immigration it's built on people who came here who loved this country who loved the city that they came into and who wanted to give something back and make a difference talking about making a difference this so this podcast is all about sharing good stories about yeah. good people to do like yourself yeah. and you've got all that experience what would you say to someone who was thinking of actually going out there and doing their own little bit of good is there any thoughts that you could offer them I think the the the, the environment in, in which we live now is a lot different from when I started and in some ways rightly so safeguarding is paramount so I think people have to for me you start small and you grow if it works and if it doesn't work, you've lost nothing. But you know, to go back to what we said before, if you can make a difference to one person, you're a hero. You are a hero. You know, and and I think if you can do that and you want to continue doing it, there's enough problems and difficulties out there that need addressing. And if you've got a particular remit that you want to work with, that is great. And I think for me do it because I did it you know I've been offered jobs by other charities and by you know the, the statutory but I didn't want to do that you know I wanted to be my own boss and I wanted to do things my way and I think that's the beauty of, of it for me 
but I think for younger people, they have to have that commitment because it is a commitment. It's long hours. It's not a lot of cash, really. Uh, and again, I would say, if you can help one person, that's a plus. That sums up everything that we've spoken about today. Yeah, it does. In a, in a really succinct way. And I'd love to see people get a great response from this and if they great. can be inspired to do something good. So kind of just to, you know, it's been really good speaking to you today and getting this message out there. What's the best way that people can connect with Kind? For me personally, give me a ring. I, I, I'm, as I say, I'm a bit of a technophobe, but you know we have got a Facebook, we've got a social, um, a website, um, office phone numbers. Where you know, so you can get all the details. Just give us a ring and and say, look, this is what I want to do, or this is how I want to help, or you know, what can, what do you need me to do? I mean, again, for the first time in a number of years, we've got a pop up Christmas shop in Liverpool Town Centre, which is doing really, really well. But we need volunteers for that as well, uh, because it's such a big space. It's the old George Henry Lees. You know, I, I've grown up with this building. You know, George Henry Lees was the was the prime retailer in our city centre, and I never in a million years would have imagined I'd end up with a charity shop in there. But it's going to be a hotel apparently, uh, so we're there until it becomes a you know a hotel. They get the building consents and warrants. But yeah, um, get in touch if you can give a couple of hours. That's great. If you can give a day, even better. If you can fundraise in your office, let us know. If you want to help with the packing, the distribution, get in touch. Simple as that. Well, there we have it. Plenty of um, plenty of tips plenty and ways to and get connected. Well, thank you, Stephen. Hey, really, no, no, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you offering your time today. No, no, and, thanks uh, for giving the opportunity for me to get out on a podcast, whatever a podcast is. <laughs> I have no real knowledge of that. No, but but thanks, Rob. It's it's been great. Uh, I hope people have got an insight into what Kind's about and why we're still here and what our passion is and if they feel that's something that they would like to get involved with then please do get in touch perfect thank you Stephen thank you appreciate that cheers Rob cheers so there we have it there's my interview with Stephen Um, what a guy eh? isn't he just like so inspiring listening to his story and his journey and all the things he's gone on and I think to know there's people like that out there doing these things and, and how it started for him you know it starts from small actions and just repeating them and, and seeing how it goes so anyway if you felt inspired to take action after listening to this or to be involved then and potentially in the Christmas appeal then I've got an idea for you guys I mentioned in the interview that we were intending to sort of club together and donate as a family to towards this well I want to take this one step further and open this up to you guys the listeners to see if you'd like to get involved and support so what i've done is i've set up a just given page and what i'd love to be able to do is between us all to be able to help give 10 families a christmas to remember so basically what does that look like well each hamper costs about 75 pound and it's full of fruit and vegetables for the week and it's got presents in there for the kids and it's got crackers in there so they can enjoy christmas so we'll be looking between us to raise 750 pound so between my wife's Ruth's family and my family we've got two hampers covered so I'd love it if between the rest of us we could we could get involved you know and you know any amount is absolutely fine it doesn't have to be the amount to the price of a hamper but if a few of you club in together then you know it's possible but if not then you know as little as five or ten pound is still absolutely amazing and goes a long way to helping in some way I know personally that on Christmas Day, it's gonna my food's gonna taste a bit better for me knowing that I've got involved with this charity and stuff. And then also another way we can go, if you want, you can help volunteer, which Stephen spoke about. I've now got the dates for that for him. So it's gonna be on the fifteenth and the seventeenth of December. 
just outside Liverpool city centre. So if anyone wants to get involved in that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to include all links and stuff in the show notes to this so you can find out all that you need. So anyway, that's it for me in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And until next time, have a good one. Thank you.